Hello, this is the Thought Feeder Podcast. I'm John Stephen Sansel. With me as <laughs> Don't o- do that again. <laughs> Hello, this is the Thought Feeder Podcast. What, what, what do I usually say? <laughs> you usually say, welcome to Thought Feeder. Okay. Oh. <laughs> nice. Hello, this is the Thought Feeder Podcast. <laughs> what can I do for you today? <laughs> I'm John Stephen Stansel, and with me as always is Joel Goodman, and today we have very special guest, Jade Powell. Jade is a social media strategist in Atlanta, and she's absolutely incredible. If you follow her on Twitter, she does great work, and we're excited to get to talk to her a little bit uh, about some of her thoughts on on social media marketing and kind of the, the atmosphere. She works in the airline industry. She started her newest position right before COVID started, so we may talk a little bit about that and how that can be a little bit of a harrowing experience, but welcome, Jade. Uh, why don't we start? Can you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm Jade. Sometimes the Y in my name throws people off, but it's Jade, just like the color in the stone. Yeah, I'm from Atlanta, native, born and raised, and I haven't left. In a pre-pandemic world, I was living my best life traveling and dancing the life away, but right now I'm just chilling on my couch and talking to people on the interwebs. So that's all I do. (laughs) Not a horrible life. No, not at all. One thing I want to talk about is with social media marketing, we talk a lot about, and we kind of bemoan interns. <laughs> we say like interns don't run social media. Don't call me an intern. And, and for many respects for, for good reason. Yeah. However, you know, for us working in higher ed and, and interns have their place and internship roles are very important. You started your career as an intern in an internship role. And and, and now you're the glamorous Jade Powell <laughs> doing, you know, gigantic things. So would you talk a little bit about your, your experience as an intern and, and how it led you to where you are today? Yeah. So while I was in college, I actually had four different internships. And lucky for me, they were all in these type of marketing roles. One was a business development internship. One was a social media internship. One was a marketing operations internship. And one was a public relations internship. So I actually got to do a wide variety of different projects in these different kind of agencies I was working um, working at. And I was also doing one of the internships at my university at the time. So I got to also play in that education space as well, which was really cool. But I think what I loved most about the internships that I was doing was that I got the opportunity to kind of explore a wide range of things, especially the the, the most important one was kind of seeing how businesses run and organizations operate on different spectrums and seeing how they all kind of have their own approach to consumer marketing or providing a specialized service. So that was kind of what made my my experience a little bit more unique. And I'm forever grateful for all the internships I did have, because I don't think that without any of my internships, I would be in the place that I am today. So I'm like all about the internship for sure. And I will specify by saying a paid internship. Please pay your interns, people. (laughs) You were a professional intern for a while. That's a lot of internships. Yeah, it was. I was hustling. (laughs) Well, being being a very experienced intern, let's let's, let's talk about that a little bit because I I, I think it's a misconception, but also happens quite often is a student gets a social media internship and they walk in first day and somebody says, all right, do the social now. Yeah. And, And that's really not what an internship is for, right? 
So what made your internship successful and how can we improve social media internships in general, other than, as you mentioned, paying them? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the paying part is definitely the, the first thing I would say. But I think what stood out about all the internships that I was involved in was I was actually treated as a member of the team and my opinions were valued. I think we see TV, we see media, and we have these like very traditional ideas of what the intern does. They get the coffee. They pretty much act as an office assistant. They grab the things that leadership doesn't want to grab. But oftentimes interns have the most valuable knowledge and the most valuable experience because they're outside of industry. So they're not coming in with this already jaded point of view because they haven't been so in love with the brand for so long that they're not like spewing out the brand language. They're not using the brand book as a Bible, they have external knowledge and a different point of view that could be um, leveraged and people really should be tapping into. And oftentimes because interns are typically younger and even people in entry-level positions, they oftentimes know new things that people in leadership positions would never even consider. So they just have like this untapped almost power and reservoir of knowledge that people aren't really paying attention to because it's like, oh, that's the entry level kid, but it's like they oftentimes know a lot more than you think they do. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an excellent point. You know, I, I think some of the roles that I, I've, I've worked with and in, in, in people I've talked to sometimes, they struggle to find jobs for their interns. Like, for example, oh, I've got this intern. What, what, what do we do with them? You know, can we trust them with running social? Can we trust them to, to create content without a whole lot of supervision? Yeah. And I, I think the supervision is important because that's, that's part of it. it, it it's you know, in addition to getting paid, there is a, a training <laughs> element to it. And I think just unleashing your intern and, and expecting them to just, just do the social yeah. is kind of setting them up for failure a little bit. Totally. And and then, in that same regard, I think leaders need to allow interns the space and the grace to live and learn because like, we're all gonna mess up some shit. Like you never know what's gonna happen. So it's like, let the intern have the opportunity to kind of learn from their mistakes and grow as a professional because that's the only way they're gonna be able to develop themselves personally and professionally, you know? interns like they're here to support the, or the organization but the organization should be pouring back into them as well because they're almost like the customer in a way like they're going to be your biggest brand advocates in the in the long term so why not treat them like they're one of the members of the team and that their opinions are are incredibly valuable i was thinking about that the other day i was i was, I was looking at back at some of my older work and like cringing a little bit, which I think is healthy because if you're not cringing at your older work, you're not improving. Yeah. But I was thinking how, you know, I didn't do an internship, but I, I started with, you know, smaller social accounts and I, having that, those training wheels is just so valuable where, like you said, you kind of have that room to make some mistakes and kind of play around a little bit and, and see what works and see what doesn't. I think it's very important, like you said, to kind of have, have that grace and we're going to make mistakes at some point, you know, let's, let's, let's do them well, while we're small <laughs> a little bit and not, not on a grand scale sometimes. And, and I think there's an additional layer that should be noticed as well, because, you know, 
in our American education system, like because it's all rooted in capitalism, we're very much focused on being hyper competitive. So in college, you look at these students and then they're, they're pretty much taught to be like, you have to do everything you can to stand out. You have to make sure that you're targeting the top 500 companies in the nation. And I'm like, oftentimes these startups or these smaller agency or these smaller companies can teach you a lot more. And they'll, they're the ones that will give you more opportunity to really practice the things that you've been learning, not only in your coursework, but just in your everyday life. I, I will say I, I advocate for college if it make, makes sense for you. When I went to college, I went because I felt like I had to. <laughs> and I was I was very much coming from the, the gen, and it's still relevant today where they're like, you have to have a college degree to get the career of your dreams. So I went to college and I was barely skating by, but like I was able to get a degree eventually. But in my coursework, I was noticing that I just wasn't learning what I felt like I needed to prepare me for the actual professional work, whatever that looks like. And it was my internship experience, that actual working that was like, that's what prepared me for my career, not my coursework. So when I meet other interns or when I meet people who are interested in internship opportunities, I always tell them to not look at it as how do I apply for this job? How do I get this company to hire me? Like they should be approaching it like, why should I work here? <laughs> like you tell me, and it's almost like a reverse because your internship will only be as good as the manager that you have or the company that you have. And if the company and the manager ain't shit, your internship ain't gonna be shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I've given that same advice to some students as they, they go into to internships, you know, looking at, at some of the, the job descriptions going, well, you're not going to learn anything doing this, you know, they're, they're not going to be there to support you or give that training that you need. And I, I think in higher ed for us, we're in a, and, and so higher ed social media specifically, we're in a unique position where we have all of these smaller accounts on our campuses that we can let students kind of have those training wheels and, and oversee, you know, okay, you can, you can run the history department's account and, and get any of that experience. So when you are applying to those first jobs, you've got something there, right? But you also kind of hit on an interesting point too, you know, this kind of not only are you interviewing for a job, you're interviewing the job. And I think that brings up, you've talked a lot about sort of the changing face of professionalism and, and, and the changing face of, of the workplace a little bit. Do you, do you want to elaborate on that or some, some of your, your, your ideas on, on how, how you know, the workplace is changing these days? Yeah. So I think what we've known to be considered professionalism or traditional business etiquette is changing. And I think that's largely due to a culture shift amongst the different generations that are constantly evolving. And I believe these kind of new approaches to what was considered the traditional work environment has changed largely in part due to these tech companies that are starting up. So like the Googles and the Facebooks, like they're the ones that are like, we're going to put scooters on campuses. We're going to have beanbag chairs in our offices. Like why? I don't know. But obviously we've seen that more people are wanting to have comfortable work environments, but not only that, be comfortable feeling themselves in these work environments. So 
it, it's always so fascinating to me because a lot of companies and organizations, we talk about diversity a lot and we focus on race, gender, socioeconomic status or disabilities. But diversity means a lot of things. Like, why are we not hiring the people that have tattoos on their face? If they can execute a strategy, that means they can do the work. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter that someone is like, I want to wear pink every day to work. Like, that has nothing to do with their work. And I'm very much in the philosophy of if someone is able to work on a team and work well with others, respect their teammates and their managers, and then also get the job done and do it well, what they look like should not matter. What they wear to work should not matter. What they talk like at work should not matter, like as long as the work is done. And I think that is the future of the modern day workplace, just like letting people uh, allow them to show up to work and, and be their completely full selves and their whole selves. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, it, you know, if it feels, I think in general, universities are a little bit resistant to that, which seems ironic because we're just this youthful, vibrant place of diversity where we've got our students, you know, doing all kinds of things and expressing all sorts of ideas, wearing all sorts of things. Well, I think many of us are still expected, you know, suit, tie, you know, business casual attire and things like that. And it's still kind of going under that nine to five in an office mentality. So do you have any thoughts on how we can initiate these sorts of changes? Well, I think it first starts with recognizing why these institutions and these social constructs exist. And without going down a spiral, I would say that, again, they're rooted in capitalism and also white patriarchy, because historically, if you think about the white men that have been able to work, if you really think about the case for why people should be wearing a suit and tie to work or bringing a briefcase, all of these things were designed to other people because historically people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, people of color, women haven't been able to access these type of things or even the education. And if you think about why the nine to five exists or why we want people to sit in cubicles, like that has never made sense, but somehow we've been doing it for so long. And it's always so funny to me because historically, the people that have always been in these professional environments, quote unquote professional, and these traditional work environments have been white men. So they have created these social constructs around professionalism and the proper work environment to suit them and other people. And that's not the future. Like, we've already seen this and how brands and organizations are tapping into these conversations about how we can make workplaces more safe and more inclusionary. But that is a very broad spectrum of what that can mean. But I think it starts with recognizing what these social institutions are and actively working to challenge them. The The future is basically kicking tradition's ass. Like, <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Like, we need to make changes in our own, in our own work environments and really challenge the status quo. Something I talk a lot about is just even as far as you know, being able to wear what you want to wear and being able to re work remotely. Like those are two things that are very important to me. And I've even noticed that as I've gotten through my career, that's something that I think of immediately. Cause even in interviews, we're always like, what are these companies values? Like those are the questions that we should really be asking. And I think that is the future of all industries being values led. And even when it comes from a social media perspective, taking those values and incorporating into your content 
as well because we've gotten into this place again because of capitalism where all we do is push product and try to focus on selling the product but it's like people want to know that brands are there for their communities that is it so to me the future of social media is community and values led and i don't care what anyone says i'm not arguing with that because i know that to be true because i've seen it already happening (laughs) there's a million things i want to touch on there so Oh, first, you know, talking about social media being values led and being there for your community instead of just pushing product. Can can you mention any, any examples of, of where, you know, you, you've seen this or where we can do a better job of doing this? Yeah. So one of my favorite examples is Ben and Jerry's as a brand. Like who would have thought an ice cream brand could do well at social justice? And they've been doing it for so long that I think these brands that have recently kind of caught up to the curve now that social justice has been a huge part of a lot of conversations on social media and the media in general, it's fascinating me to kind of watch them I wouldn't even say play in this space, but lead in this space, because I think that's what brands need to aspire to. It's like when someone goes to a store and purchases your product or someone goes online and uses their service, like it's not just about that initial touch point. It's like, what will they be able to get after that? And the sense of community that's going to be built. And when I think about the future of brands and this social media space, I think that really leaning into values and showing consumers like this is what we care about. And ultimately, this is what we care about you is is what's going to keep them there forever. Like that's how they're going to become your biggest brand advocates. Not because of the influencers, not because you're offering like special discounts or coupons, but because you're leading with your values and that's showing up in the product and services that you're offering. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's so much that higher ed can can do in that. But I, I think so many universities are scared to do that. They're they're worried about you know alienating one segment of of their their. I don't want to say customer base, but yeah, customer base, you know? So what would you say to a brand that is is hesitant to address some of these issues? Challenge the status quo. (laughs) And and I know it's easier said than done, but I think you have to find a place where it's almost like you really have to think about the, the type of brand or company that you want to be or the type of organization that you want to be. When all is failing in the world, and all you have is your product or service. <laughs> what does that say about you? Because at the end of the day, you're even if you don't have a community, like your customer can drop your product or service in order to find something that's more meaningful and value to them. So if you're thinking about long-term value and what that looks like, investing in community, investing in strong beliefs and having a belief system that you build your organization upon is what's gonna matter in the end. So you have to be comfortable with getting out of your comfort zone, like really push yourself to challenge yourself and think about the long-term effects that your business is gonna have for the generation now and, and generations to come. With that, Jade, like you were saying earlier, you know where things are going. <laughs> We agree. I mean, I think we know where things are going. One piece of that is that if if a brand isn't going to change, isn't going to realize that values are going to be increasingly more important to the world, to just culture in general, they're not going to be they're not going to be around to, you know, I mean, higher ed has that issue. There are other industries that have that issue as well. You've 
if you're too slow to adapt and too slow to improve or too slow to realize that you've been wrong for a really long time. Uh, we've seen that. We've seen that just, you know, in the past few months with with so many social issues cropping up and finally getting the weight that they deserve in the news cycle and in, in the minds of everyone. Absolutely. Um, if, if you don't realize that that's something that is important when it's happening, and hopefully you realize it before it's happening, but if you don't realize it, you're not going to be around later on to be able to address it and be able to even apologize for being terrible because people your students are going to leave your your customers are going to leave they're going to go find someone else that better fits how they think and how they how they want the organizations that they support to behave yeah And, and based on what i'm seeing in conversations online is that the consumer is looking for brands to be proactive yeah like yeah we're tired of apologies and we're oh, tired yeah. of the afterthought. Because if you put your community first and we're values led, there would be no need for an apology. And, and to go back to what you were saying earlier, Jade, about in, in, in job interviews, mm-hmm. the employee interviewing the potential employer, it, it's about attracting talent too. Like you mentioned Ben and Jerry's. Like I'd love to go work for Ben and Jerry's because of what they do in social justice and knowing that that's the kind of company that I want to work for uh, and, and that that's incredibly valuable. And, you know, we can't make the mistake of acting like working for companies that are only focused on pro- profit doesn't have an, a, an extreme impact on your mental health. And, and this is why you see so many people that are so sad because we spend a lot of our time, well, Americans do, we spend a lot of our time at work, oftentimes more at work with our, our colleagues than we do with our own friends and family. So if you think about how much time that is taking of your life, and if you go to a job every day, that is strictly like, all you need to do is sell the product and that's all you're here for, that is taxing. Like capitalism isn't something that like humans should feel naturally comfortable with (laughs) so it's something that we should really consider consider challenging especially when we think about these workplaces because i want to work for the companies that are on the right side of history i don't want to waste years at a company where i come out and i feel like my my soul and my life was sucked away because i was worried about selling a product like that's not valuable to anyone and you know I, i i talk about this a lot but i think we get very caught up in just like the progression in our careers and moving on to these higher job titles and whatever that looks like for anyone and making more money. But at the end of the day, and this pandemic has shown us, if the job goes away, what else do we have? (laughs) We have each other, (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) So it's an interesting kind of way to look at how businesses are kind of operating in that, in that world of profit only. To go also go back to what you're saying, because a second ago you said you gave me like 20,000 things to think about. So <laughs> I want to address a few of them. You know, t- talking about professionalism again and, you know, how you present yourself and, and behave in the workplace, how you dress. But there's also this mingling of our professional lives and our personal lives that actually kind of comes out in our, our online selves. And I think you do a really good job of blending the two, you know, talking about your, what you do, putting, putting your beliefs and, and forming, building communities on, on social media. Would you address a little bit about, about, about that and, and, and what you do there? Yeah, I, I won't lie. It's been a little bit of trial and area era. Back in the day, I actually had 
two social media profiles and one was very much for my personal brand and the other was for my professional brand. And I think as I got into my career and I realized that I just wanted to be both in one space. I realized that there didn't really need to be a degree of separation because my personal me is my professional me. And I tell people this all the time, how I act online is exactly who you're going to get when you walk up to me in person. And, and that's something I really pride myself on because I don't believe in creating an online persona. Like I, I, I think we all definitely have our own degree of a personal brand, but that doesn't mean it necessarily has to be any less authentic to who you are. And, you know, when I speak on social media, I speak in the way that I speak out loud. (laughs) When I write on social media, I write in the way that I would write in real life. And I think that's something that not only individuals, but brands can, can really learn from because again, going back to the community piece, it's important to be authentic and connect with people on a human level. And that means being you. So sometimes I I talk about how two of the communities I'm most involved in on social media are Black Twitter and social media Twitter. And sometimes I find myself censoring myself because I'm like, I'm speaking to the Black community, but I don't want the non-Black community to hear me talk about this and then almost co-opt it because I've noticed how Black people... And, and I will always preach this, Black people create a lot of the trends that we see on social media and a lot of the language that people are considering internet culture or meme culture. And I'm like, that's actually African-American vernacular English that you're using. <laughs> and it's always so funny to me because I see brands where they're trying to be quote unquote more hip or cool. And they tap into these conversations and use this language, not really realizing where it comes from. And they just say it and then it becomes popular culture. But people are not realizing like, this is how black people are speaking to each other in their everyday lives. So. I try to balance this line where I am still my authentic self, but also recognizing that sometimes I have to make sure that what I'm saying isn't considered popular culture because it isn't. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And that's something that I think we need you know, to address, not just personal, but you mentioned brand accounts, you know, kind of co-opting black culture. And, you know, I, I've seen it referred to as like digital blackface yeah. and, you know, where, you know, what it can be very tricky to navigate. I think sometimes where, you know, I read an article about digital blackface as gifts, you know, and I'll even be very cautious of myself using a gif as, you know, a middle-aged white guy, like, do I really need to use this gif of, you know, Rihanna making a sassy face? Cause that's not me. Right. So <laughs> maybe I need to use you know, Ed Begley Jr. or something instead, but for brands where, you know, the brand voice, what, what is the brand voice and what, as as a 40 year old white guy doing a a brand voice for university. Okay. That I, I can, I can kind of lay something across there, but how can brands appropriately use their voice and tone in social media and, and, and not fall into that, that category? Yeah. So 
I think it's a tricky thing to navigate because obviously when brands are created, there's this beautiful brand Bible, the brand book. And I would say it touches on voice and tone, but it's never very elaborate. And I think that's something that is a change that recently needs to happen. Well, it needs to start happening because even in the strategies I write for social media marketing campaigns that I'm working on, I spent a, a nice a bit of time on tone and voice because that really matters. Like it's more than just saying, oh, we're going to be funny on social media like what does funny mean to you because we're obviously seeing that comedy and and satirical nature can mean a lot of different things to different people because i i see it all the time how people will say something people will perceive it as offensive and it's like oh i was just joking but funniness is different <laughs> to to everyone so when we talk when we look at brands kind of crafting their brand strategies and what that brand playbook looks like tone and voice is something i would love to see more brands really kind of honing in on and focusing on like i want to see at least like three pages of the deck <laughs> on tone and voice because it it just matters and it can really determine especially on social how you're perceived and how your community responds to you and again if you're in the space where you're sending out these tweets or posting on Instagram in a tone that is really not you, it's not going to be perceived well. Like you couldn't even fake it if you tried because people are going to know. And I think when we think about the people behind the social media accounts, like you should allow those people the spaces to speak freely as well. And, you know, something about me is like, Again, I'm a black woman from Atlanta. I know how I speak. <laughs> I know what my voice sounds like. So you see me kind of incorporating that into the brands that I manage, but I also am causing it of the fact that typically, because a lot of the brands I have worked for or have done projects for are not black women led, that I also have to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. So I may not use some terminology that I would be using when I'm talking to my friends, but I would still make sure that the voice that I'm using is authentic to who I am because social media managers are the voice of the brand. Exactly. And I think social media managers are given the power to determine that voice. They can do what they're comfortable with or, or what they feel is appropriate or, or even, even kind of example talking about, you know, meme culture and, and how that, you know, I debated my, myself for like half an hour over a tweet, you know, that was, I, I can't remember what it was, but you, you often see, you know, something, something be like, and I yeah. was like, well, I would never say be like, I would say are like, because I am who I am. Right. I used to, I used to teach grammar, you know, that's, but I spent a long time kind of debating and going back and forth. Well, the meme is this, it's be like, but the voice of the university is are like, and those those little details are really important when you're thinking about the, the voice of of your brand and, and what what you're trying to do, and and people can see that in inauthentic. In, in I cannot say this word. I, I slip up every time. Inauthenticity very well. Well, Jeff, we, we we saw this happen a few weeks ago, and we we don't like to name names on universities, but there were some meme posts coming out on on Twitter from at least one institution, and I remember it coming up and being being like okay one this does not feel like this institution two right it's tone deaf and three it's a black twitter meme like why are you <laughs> why are you appropriating this in the first yeah. place it's, it's like three offenses right in a row and and it ended up that there was a large like kind of lashing back at them for it from from their audiences and so there there's real danger not just in terms of like being 
inauthentic or seeming inauthentic. I mean, right. you, you can be causing real harm to real people because because you don't realize the the roots or you haven't done the due diligence to to figure out where did this meme come from? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the thinking behind it? What what are the roots of it? And I mean, there are resources for figuring out where memes come from and <laughs> where they started. Yeah. And then and then it's about having, you know, that value structure in place. Like are are you an organization that takes that cultural appropriation seriously or are you an organization that is trying too hard to be cool? And and either either one has huge negatives to it. Yeah, and, and I think that also ties into a larger conversation about community moderation as well, because I oftentimes think that community management is not really focused on as a social media practice when it, I absolutely think it should be, especially as eventually brands will realize that the future of social is community-led. But when we think about the actual moderation of our comments, that's something that's value-led as well. Because if you're an organization who internally doesn't say, hey, we denounce racism, we denounce sexism, we have a zero-tolerance policy, that's going to reflect on social. So if you have a community where people are attacking each other, using hate speech, harassing each other, and you're not deleting those comments, what does that say about your organization? If you're noticing that people are, you know, spamming comments with like anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and you're not blocking those people actively or you're not actively monitoring what those conversations look like under your posts, that says a lot about your organization. So again, going back to the values-led piece, if, you're, if your organization or your company is values-led, that will reflect on what you're doing on social media as well. So honestly, I've even seen in my freelance work, how opportunities have arised. And I've been like, oh, this seems like a cool company to work to do some work for. And I'm like, okay, what are your values? And they don't even have any. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I can't help you then. <laughs> so I, I, I think there's a lot of responsibility on, and I, and I definitely put the accountability on social media managers to know when to say no. Not every project, not every opportunity is a good one. Unless you feel like you can change it <laughs> completely, which is very hard to do as a contractor, I would recommend saying no. And I think, you know, saying no kind of puts the pressure on these organizations to make those changes. Right. That can be a difficult thing, granted, to say to like when you're looking for a job and you, you know, you, you need something. But also the, the thing to think about is that job affects your future prospects, right? You know, if you were working for, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a terrible company or Enron. No, I, you know, and then you want to go work for a values-based company later. They're going to ask, well, why were you working for this evil corporation or earlier? You know, so. Jane, I really liked what you said about the future of social media going back mm -hmm. to being or going to be community led because it's really funny that that's where social media started. Yeah. So my internship in college, I only did one because I'm apparently not the overachiever that you are. <laughs> I didn't um, do any. <laughs> okay, great. So, so my my college internship was in 2005, and it was with a, an independent record label in California, and I ended up doing what would become social media marketing because mm -hmm. social media wasn't really a thing. Like Facebook was still restricted to specific college campuses at that mm -hmm. time. Twitter did not exist 
I'm not even sure YouTube was popular yet. Like I had, I had a MySpace and, (laughs) and I think a live journal at that point. And then I managed to get a Facebook account while doing this work, but we, we essentially were responsible for trying to boost attendance to these concerts that bands from our label were doing up and down the coast. And so we would basically just go on MySpace and we would say, Hey, I'm, singer from the band even though we weren't and we're going to be touring with this band that we saw that you like on or that you're friends with on myspace and we wanted to see if you want to come out and check us out so if you do here's a link to where it's happening you know, like that sort of thing and and you couldn't just go in and be broadcast centric brand sell 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 it was right. it was literally appealing to the community friendship relationship side of it and you know, I mean, yeah, I'm not as old as JS, but uh, I've I've been around from I guess the birth of social media at this point, and and it's it's so I don't know, like it's kind of like the good old days in some ways. You know, you think back to to how all that started, and it really was Twitter didn't have brands on it, or if they did, it was what you were talking one on one with the person that happened to run the Twitter and no one was trying to market through it really, or at least they didn't have cohesive strategies and plans and all the stuff that we have now in, in social media marketing. And it was a totally different time. And then, you know, there are still old school social media managers who are, you know, now directors of digital strategy or whatever at this point. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they'll even say like, yeah, it's, it's, but it's a social medium. It's supposed to be about conversations and, it hasn't been for a while. You know, I think that, I think there are certain brands that try to do that or certain, I guess, certain social media professionals that try to do that through their brand accounts. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think you're right. Like, I think, I think it has to go back to that direction. Otherwise, well, I, we see it already. People leave platforms all the time because the platforms get overly charged with just salesy, inauthentic, you know, whatever kind of content. And, yeah. and so moving in a direction where social media is really about community it's about the participation aspect again like i really hope it happens i want it to because that was the fun time that was when social media was a lot of fun and these days it's like yeah it's it's very it's very consumer it's very it's very consuming centric you know it's Mm -hmm. oh the you know this person has the good memes and this person has the good video shares and you know they they tweeted the funny take and and that's about it it's like i'm consuming whatever that content is versus we're having a, a give and take and actually and actually building some sort of community through it. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I think I've already been seeing how the individual platforms are kind of changing what those even metrics look like, those engagements. Mm-hmm. Cause I think we we all know that Instagram for a period of time was talking about getting rid of the like. Right. And I think that's incredibly important because when you think about the beginning of what social media was, even myself, when I started my my career in social media, this was 2012, I want to say mm-hmm. my my first role after social media intern was community manager, and that is all I was focused on. Yeah. And I think the moment, and, and I miss these days, but the moment that Facebook was like, we have an algorithm, and you have to pay to get your content noticed on these platforms. That's when things change dramatically. It's like it's always capitalism that finds its way to sinks it sinks its teeth <laughs> into something that you're doing. But as soon as that change kind of happened, that's when you notice that it's almost like 
how do we fight to get people's attention and how do we fight to get our money <laughs> into the right advertising networks? And it's, it's so fascinating to me because I think that has kind of changed what social media looks like now, even today where it's less community focused and all it's all about the influencer. Mm. And even the influencers don't know when to like take themselves out of conversation. Yeah. But yeah. like, mm-hmm. we here right now. <laughs> well, and two, you know, we, I, I, we touched on this in a, a, a previous conversation before Jay, but like the, the social media thought leader with all of these gimmicks of like, Oh, Hey, use five hashtags to do this. <laughs> this is post at this time to beat the algorithm. And become more about these workarounds and hacks to get your content in front of people rather than the hard work of building a, a community and, and, and talking to people. It, it's, yeah, we, we need to move past that. We, we do. And I think that kind of speaks to the overall world of marketing. Like if you think about what marketing is in its purest form, it's like opinions and then you hope it works. And then you look at what works, create some statistics based off of that. And then you reinvent the wheel or you just you continue to do what's working. And it, it, it's so fascinating to me because I think a lot of us as marketers, because we are very proud of our craft as we should be, but we're always like, this worked for me. So this is Bible, but we've seen time and time again that there is no one answer. There is no right or wrong. Things just work sometimes and sometimes they don't. So even something I've been very adamant about is challenging what quote unquote best practices are. I'm like, what does that even mean? Because there are no best practices in this industry. It's like, all we can do is test and hope things work because the consumer is evolving every day. Social media is evolving every day. So there's never going to be a right answer for how to approach a social media strategy or a right answer for how to promote a, to approach a content strategy or a right answer to, you know, approach a community management strategy. There's no right answer. So I think brands can, and social media marketers can really take the time to, you know, focus on their community again and stop trying to worry about pushing the product, but allowing your community build so they will naturally go to your product so that you won't have to push or sell it. Yes, definitely. I, I think that that's a the, like a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> so, Jay, you know, you started your most recent job right at the beginning of the pandemic. Like, you got your job and then. COVID-19, <laughs> what was, and I, I've talked to a number of people who've had similar experiences, not all in social media, uh, but you know, the transition is very difficult. How, how, has, how has that been for you? You, you know, it, it's funny because starting a new job at the beginning of a pandemic sounds super hectic and crazy, but I've honestly never felt more prepared. And that's largely due to, again, as I mentioned before, my internships and a lot of my experience at startups and small agencies, which is why I always advocate for people to work at startups, at least one or a small agency, because you just get to see the varying experiences that you'll have. But I've kind of seen this shift in communication from various brands like this year was shitty and it's not over so it's probably still going to be shitty after this but this year we were hit with the pandemic we were hit with several social injustice crises the death of many notable figures and 
fear around our upcoming election. Like we can't deny that this year is not normal. So so many storms. It's weather. (laughs) Weather is is bad too. Like everything's bad. (laughs) Everything is bad. It's like it's not normal at all. So it's so funny because I think about this often. I'm just like, this is the year that the Aztecs warned us about. (laughs) (laughs) We did the the math wrong somewhere. Like, this is what they were gearing us up for when they threw the calendar. Um, But obviously, people are very stressed, anxious, exhausted, and seeking some type of normalcy, whatever that looks like for them. And because of this, this is kind of where I foresee a lot of brands realizing that they have to take a step back from focusing on the product push and lean more into their values, like I've been saying. And with these communication strategies that have been built around COVID, I've seen how brands have literally went from like, hello, buy my product. This is why you should use my service to now it's where, how can we help you be well? Because people are suffering mentally and this is why you matter to us because people are being told that their lives don't matter. And the important thing is that if we continue to wait for these moments where it's like, we're waiting to say these things when the pandemic happens and not beforehand, we're already missing the opportunity. And it goes back to what we were saying before, the community wants to know that you guys care about these things in advance, not just when you have a thousand brand mentions because you're just now deciding to be a part of this conversation. Like it should have been done beforehand. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it comes across as inauthentic too. If like, I, I'll tell an example. I mean, at a previous position, you know, somebody asked me, my boss came in, it's like, Hey, it's women's history month. We need to do something for women's history month. I was like, no, we don't. <laughs> and they were well, why don't you think it's important? I'm like, I do think it's important, but we're in the newspaper for not hiring enough women right now. Like well, there's a news story today about that. Like if, we say it we're inauthentic like our our actions have to back up our words and you can't just be johnny come lately of oh you know i'm gonna you know we need to, at some point you you need to make that transition but your actions have to 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 go alongside that absolutely jade is there anything else you want to touch on i just want to again stress the power of community i think Again, that is the future of what social media is and will be. And I think the more that brands kind of focus on what their values are and what that means to them, they won't have to rely on all these traditional kind of marketing tactics and ways to push and sell the product because their community will literally be the biggest brand advocates there will ever be. Like, word of mouth, whether social media is gone, all aspects of digital marketing, traditional marketing, like even out of home media, when all that goes away, word of mouth is what matters. And your word of mouth comes from the community that you've built. So investing in your community now will save you a lot of pain later. That's perfect. And I think I think that's a great note to end it on. And Jade, let's give you some word of mouth. So do you have any any plugs? Where can people find you? Um, plug your pluggables. Yeah. So you can find me at jadeipowell.com and on Twitter at jadeipowell and on Instagram, jadeipowell underscore. <laughs> oh, 
Been I there. Know. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> I know. I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, I actually had the original Jedi Powell, and again, this goes back to me having like two separate brand accounts, and I was trying to swap them, and I accidentally deleted the first one, so I'm stuck with an underscore for now. But it's I, fun. I don't know that pain. That sounds <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, I was quite sad. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. If you like listening to our show, we would really appreciate a review or a rating. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify if you want to follow us there and get notifications when it, when we come up with new episodes. Any way you can find us is awesome. You can follow us on Twitter at ThoughtFeedPod. You can visit ThoughtFeederPod.com for all of our back episodes with full transcripts of every single one. And this week, we want to thank Jade Powell so much for being on the show. Thank you for the conversation and for being here, Jade. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. I appreciate it, guys. (laughs) Thought Feeder is a production of University Insight. 